Do you remember the first few days of quarantine? Like the very beginning, when we thought we were just going to have a couple days and a couple plans got canceled. And so we thought, let's take advantage of the fact that we're going to be home. I remember grabbing my little family. I'm like, let's get matching jammies. Let's have game night, movie night. Let's, let's take full advantage of this time. Who knows how long it will last? Who knew that the days would turn into weeks, which turned into months? And it's December, almost Christmas. Merry Christmas, Willow. It's so good to be with you. Do you remember, though, when quarantine was kind of cute until it wasn't? I can remember the turning point for my family. Everything, I was trying to take full advantage, give the, you know, make the most of the opportunity. And then there was a moment we woke up and discovered that our car had been broken into in our front yard. And I remember being so bummed. And I remember laying with my five-year-old, reading him books at bed, and then having a brief conversation with him. And he's like, Mom, they took our stuff. What did they take? You know, we're talking about it. And we went into our normal nightly prayer time. And what God was putting on my heart, I was surprised by. He was putting on my heart the person that took the stuff. And I remember I started, as, as God was kind of putting them on my heart, I looked at my little guy. And I said, hey, hey, Foster, God's putting on my heart the person that took our stuff. And he was confused, so I went on to explain and tried to put into his little words how someone could get that desperate. And I remember praying and, or beginning to pray, and I said, hey, Foster, you know, what do you want to pray for that person? Do you want to pray for that person? I said, God's putting on my heart that God would use this, this moment, maybe for his good, who knows? And I said, Foster, is there anything you want to pray? And he goes, yes. I'm like, yes, what is it? He says, I want God, I want to pray that God would bring our stuff back. I'm like, yeah, yeah, me too, buddy. He's, and I was like, but is there anything you want to pray for the person? You know, the person that's probably in a really hard place. And he goes, nope, just want to pray for our stuff to be brought back. And I didn't want to squelch his dreams. I don't know how to explain to him that it's not likely that the person suddenly is just going to feel kind of bad and then, you know, bring our stuff back. But I said, okay, you know, you pray that, and then I'll pray mine. And it was so cute, his little prayer. It was, you know, God, you could do anything. Bring our stuff back. And, and then it was my turn. God, even if you don't, we want you to know. And I continued on in my prayer, hoping and expecting that God would use it somehow. The next day, there was a knock on the door. It was a police officer who brought back half our stuff. I remember the moment looking at my little son who was like this. <laughs> See, Foster had great expectations for God. And his expectations led us to great joy. But that's not even the end of the story. See, I remember texting all my friends. I was so, like, full and, and happy. I felt joy. And I remember texting all my friends and telling them the story. You won't believe what happened. So, and then as I was looking back and remembering the group of friends that we pray for each other, I was texting them and I remembered this group has been praying for my son to have a prayer life. That's what I had been praying. That's my prayer request for the past few weeks. And I had remembered that. And so I connected it and said, God's answering the prayer for my son to have a prayer life. Let me tell you the story. And I told about Foster's big prayer. I told about the knock on the door and I told about half the stuff being brought back. My friend's first response, praise the Lord. And I wonder if God only brought back half the stuff because of your half-hearted prayer. Gotta love good friends. (laughs) 
See, my son really did have great expectations, and it makes me wonder for you, what are your expectations this week? I mean, we can hope that the 25th is great, maybe not big family conflict, but could you hope for something more? Or, I wonder if some of us are just holding off on having expectations altogether until 2021. But what if this message was an invitation for you to have greater expectations before 2021 for something bigger, something like, ready for it? Joy. See, where we're headed today in Luke chapter 1, verse 39 to 45 is one of the most joy-filled moments of the Bible. And this passage has something to teach us that we need, that we can even expect this Christmas. Turn with me. Luke chapter 1 says this. Verse 39, at that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea, where she entered Zachariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. Right there, we got three characters. We need a little bit of context. It says, at that time, at what time? We got Mary, you got Zachariah, and you got Elizabeth, who's pregnant. So, so far in Luke chapter one, you have the angel showing up to Zechariah and saying, hey, your wife is going to be pregnant even in her old age. Then the angel comes to Mary and says, you're going to be pregnant. See, and it, by the way, it's going to be the son of God. He's going to be great. His kingdom will never end. And if you remember the sermon from two weeks ago, Dave talked about the moment where Mary was stressed, worried at the sign. But right here, we see that Mary's now running to Zachariah, who's married to Elizabeth, who's pregnant with baby John. And she's running there. How'd she get to that place? See, she dealt with her stress. She dealt with her worry. And I wonder if maybe this is the place we need to start too, trusting that God really does relieve and can relieve our worry. I've learned something recently about worry and trust and how they're connected. Let me put it this way. Have you ever worked with someone who you trusted? Maybe, maybe you were their boss or was a coworker and you handed them a project that they needed to do. And that trustworthy person, you handed it over to them and you trusted that they're going to get it done on time. It's going to be great, right? You hand it to them. You don't even have to think twice because they're going to do it. It's going to be great. But then have you ever had the other type of employee or coworker or family member or, you know, the one where you hand them something and then you wonder if they even... See how important that is? <laughs> and so you, you're wondering, why am I more worried about this project than they are? So you have to check in on them, and then you keep on worrying. What's the difference between the two? One of those people you trust, which makes me wonder, what does it say about our relationship with Christ if we hand something over to him in prayer and then continue worrying about it? I wonder if this Christmas season, if we're talking about joy, I wonder if one place to get there is first to deal with our worry because worry and joy cannot coexist. But let me tell you this, God is more trustworthy than the person you thought of that you've handed projects over. I wonder if maybe worry can become a trigger for prayer. It can become a trigger of, no, 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 God is trustworthy, so I'm going to hand it back and trust that he's going to use it for good. Mary does just that. And when she trusts him, she then now is running into town to her relative Elizabeth. Verse, we pick up in verse 41. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leapt in her womb. We got another one. Baby John the Baptist, another character we can learn, from, learn about joy. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Another key character. In, the loud, in a loud voice, she exclaimed, this is Elizabeth, Blessed are you among women. 
to Mary. And blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leapt for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. Where is joy found? Why did baby John leap for joy? What even is joy? I've heard lots of definitions. Joy is not just a feeling, though it is. It's, no, it's a virtue. Or a friend of mine who's gone through hardship said, oh, it's just the ability to smile in between tears. Other people have described it's a children's laughter. It's the, it's the difference. It's different than happiness, right? And then I've heard other people argue, no, 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 it's very similar because when you're, ha- you're joy-filled, you're happy. Jesus was joy-filled and happy. How do I know? Because kids wanted to hang out with him. They don't want to hang out with grumpy people. I heard one pastor illustrate the experience of joy this way practically. Imagine if today one of your neighbors ran to your home and told you the coronavirus has been eradicated. It no longer exists. And both political parties agree it's over. What would you experience in that moment? That's what joy looks like. It looks, it's the experience of freedom. And it doesn't mean suddenly that everything is fixed. There's still grief and sorrow. But suddenly it's carried differently. It's carried with joy. So now imagine that hypothetical moment, but magnified. Imagine centuries of waiting, generation after generation, waiting on God's promise of ultimate freedom. Imagine Mary running into the home and shouting, hope has come. And this hope is not flimsy either. Too often we frame hope as an uncertainty. We say things like, I hope this will happen. But no, no, no. Biblical hope is secure because we can rest assured God always keeps his promises. He promised he would come and he did. He promised he would come, that he would send a son to Elizabeth and he did. And by the way, we sit here today knowing that he promises to return again and he will. Therefore, today we can have joy when our hope is in Christ. Why does hope though matter in a message on joy? Because joy is the expression of hope. It's hope amidst uncertain times because what we have in Jesus is certain. You see, what we have in Christ is better than freedom to even leave your house, to eat in a restaurant, to hug your family and friends without any fear. See, while all that is good and it's a true longing in my own soul, the good news of great joy this Christmas is that God came to us for our ultimate freedom, to bring purpose to our future and his promised presence in our future and presence in the now, forgiveness from our past, and freedom and joy in the present. I've heard a lot of people communicate lately their enthusiasm and great expectation for 2021. My hope and my word for today, why wait? Let's not put our hope in a future year or people or finances or even ourselves. Why wait for something to change when joy is available to us today? And God is inviting us today through this message to have greater expectations for joy as we draw near to Jesus. Because as Psalm 1611 says, in his presence, there is fullness of joy. You see, while I've loved all the variety of definitions of joy I've heard in this season, here's what we know to be true from this passage about it. Baby John in the womb was filled with the Holy Spirit, and he knew he was close to Jesus. There's a direct correlation in this passage between proximity to Jesus and joy. Biblically, joy is the byproduct or the fruit of God's presence. 
And the reason joy is all over the Christmas narrative is because Christmas is the story of God coming near, God coming to us. And I want you to miss this before I even move on in this message. I just want you to not forget what we're doing, what we're celebrating with Christmas and why joy is possible is because God comes near. That's what we're celebrating. He came to us. God, who spoke the world into existence, the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the one who is the Prince of Peace, Almighty God, came to us. Joy, then, is the byproduct of knowing that God is near, not just then, but also now. So why did John leap for joy? To put it simply, he was near Jesus. How about you this Christmas? I wonder if this is the invitation you've been waiting for. Spend time with Jesus this week. There's fullness of joy there. First truth we learn, joy is found in closeness to Jesus. But there's more. John is not the only one filled with the Holy Spirit in this story. Let's look at his mom, Elizabeth, to see what joy does in us. Verse 41. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leapt in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? Elizabeth is filled with the Holy Spirit and the byproduct, the fruit of his spirit. You've, you know this, right? Or you've heard it maybe. Fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faith, and self-sufficient. Notice, Elizabeth acknowledges how blessed she is and then immediately starts blessing Mary. She's overflowing love. She's overflowing joy because in his presence, she has it. And this is striking to me because she's, she's seemingly free from comparison. And she could compare, right? She has John the Baptist who is going to prepare the way for the Lord. And Mary, her relative, has the Lord. This is striking to me because I think she knows that Theodore Roosevelt quote. No, she doesn't. But later on, he says it. Comparison is the thief of all joy. And it's true. See, comparison makes us full of thoughts of ourselves. When Elizabeth, full of the Holy Spirit, thinks about herself, she's humbled. Verse 43, but why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? Are we humbled like that this Christmas? Hear the invitation. Why are we so favored that God came to us too? And this house this place, this joy becomes contagious. And then Elizabeth blesses Mary, who then goes in and sings that Magnificat, the song of blessing. Elizabeth blesses Mary because she understood that with God coming near to her, she is already blessed with everything she needs. She isn't looking to be filled by other people's opinions. She's already full of the Holy Spirit. She isn't looking for affirmation. She's free of it. Don't you want that? It's possible for you. See, she's already received the affirmation she needs. Hope has come. She's free. And as a result, she's just overflowing joy and blessing to others. If you want to live like this, good news. Jesus, 30 years later in the Sermon on the Mount, gives practical wisdom on how we can live like this. Matthew 7, 12, he says, so in everything, do to others as you would have them do to you. What, let me put it practically for you. Let's take this message and say, if you're full of joy or you're full of the Holy Spirit, what do you need to do? Well, let me ask you this, based on Jesus' words, do to others what you want them to do to you. So what do you want others to do to you this Christmas? How do you want to be treated? What do you need this Christmas? 
Do you want to live filled to overflowing? Then be and do that to others. Do you want, what do you want? Do you want someone to say thank you? Do you want someone to send you an encouraging text? Would that be life-giving? Good. Treat others the way you want to be treated. Yes, the golden rule is in the Bible. Jesus said it first. And this is really practical. You and I can stop waiting to be blessed because this Christmas, we already are with Christ. Where is joy found? First, nearness to Jesus. What does joy do? It blesses us to bless others. So where do we begin? Let's remember the context of this moment. Angel comes to Mary and says, the Lord is with you. Chapter 1, verse 28. Look at he talks about reason we can be joyful. The Lord is with you. And when we meet Mary in this moment, she's not joyful. If joy for you, maybe you like the idea of it, but it feels impossible, Mary, before this moment, can relate. She's troubled and worried. This is not part of her plan. It's a big disruption. Can you relate? 2020. The byproduct of trying to control disruptions is worry, anxiety, and fear. But Mary chooses to do something else. And we read about it in verse 38, which is the verse right before she runs to bring contagious joy. And here's where she begins, which I think can give us wisdom for how we can begin too. She says this, verse 38. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your words to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. I love that two weeks ago, Dave talked about, she submits her plans, she does. I want to narrow in on this first few words. I am the Lord's servant. In order to submit, you have to realize who you're submitting to. And the reason this is so, this strikes me so much, before all the joy-filled moments with Mary, Elizabeth, John, leaping in the womb, all the joy-filled moments, it begins with Mary's proclamation, I am the Lord's servant. And the reason this strikes me is because we live in a culture that is not serving of others. In fact, our culture takes our metaphorical napkin and puts it right here as we walk into environments. We walk up to the dinner table of life and say, Woo, and we say this serve me, F- fulfill me, satisfy me. And then we don't just walk into life that way, we walk into our marriage that way, with our napkin right here. And in our marriages, serve me, build me up. And then we walk into our jobs. Encourage me. Fulfill me. And then we walk into our friendships. Notice me. Remember me. And if that's you walking into life, you're not crazy. I feel like I always want to say that to people. If that's what you're feeling, you're not crazy. You fit right into culture that puts out this message that the world exists for us to be served. And here's the power of this moment with Mary. What does she declare? Verse 39, 38. I am the Lord's servant. Why does she do this? Because later the one, the son that she has comes to earth and he doesn't come to be served, but 
to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. And he models for us how we can live this life like him. We can walk into places or into relationships. We can walk into our marriage like this. I am the Lord's servant here. We can walk into our jobs. How would you, look at, how would you live your job differently if you walked in saying, I'm the Lord's servant here? I know things are hard, but I'm the Lord's servant here. What if you walked into the grocery store? I am the Lord's servant here. I'm going to look people in the eyes, walk into your friendships. I am the Lord's servant here. It would change everything because the truth is Jesus changed everything when he led like this. See, like I said, he didn't just come to be served. He came to serve, to give, not just to live, but also to die and give his life as a ransom for many. In Christmas, we have the truth that he came. And because I've read past Luke chapter 1, I know why. (laughs) The reason God came to us in Christmas is because he loves us. He gave his life for us. And then he rose to prove he is powerful and has the power to defeat life, to defeat death, sin, and its consequences for all of eternity And then he ascended, Jesus ascended into heaven to sit at the right hand of God and promises us heaven in the future, life with God, but also gives us his spirit right now. And his spirit, the byproduct of his spirit, of awareness of his presence is joy. And not just joy. Gosh, it looks like freedom. Mary in this moment, she's free because she's no longer serving herself. And what does Mary do with this news? She runs 60 to 100 miles in a hurry to share it. As you give your life to Jesus for the first time, if you've never done it, this is the invitation you've been waiting for, to give your life to serve someone else other than yourself because he modeled for you that he came to die for you that you might give your life in response and in doing so look just like him. See, as you give your life to Jesus and are formed more into his likeness by the transformational power of the Holy Spirit within you, you too can bring Jesus to others. Mary isn't the only one carrying Christ this Christmas. Pregnant Mary reflects what we, the church, full of God's spirit, are meant to become, bringers of joy. Mary carries Christ inside of her, literally having him formed in her, which is a picture the Apostle Paul will use later in his his letter to the Galatian church. In Galatians 4.19, he writes this, My little children, for whom I am in the anguish of childbirth until... This is his purpose. Christ is formed in you too. As the church, we're meant to carry Christ as we're formed more into his likeness. This Christmas season and like Mary, we bring him to others. You see, when you're full of the Holy Spirit, you bring to others what they need. You can bring joy, contagious joy. And you can have expectations this week for it as you, like John, Be close to Jesus. There's fullness of joy there. Like Elizabeth, bless others because in Christ, you're already blessed. And like Mary, let not your hearts be troubled. Serve the Lord and bring him wherever you go. Willow, God coming to earth is the thrill of hope this Christmas. Let's give the weary world a reason to rejoice. Will you pray with me? Father, I can share truth and we can hear truth 
and not be changed by that truth. So I ask, Lord, that by the power of your Holy Spirit, dwelling within those who believe that you would form us more into your likeness, would we become people of joy? And I also pray specifically for those who have never chosen to serve you with their life, who don't know what you've done for them. I pray even now that they would take the next step in your direction because in your presence, they have the potential to find joy. And I pray that this Christmas, they would. We love you, Jesus. Be glorified in us, we pray. Amen.